Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And I, I just want to change a word. In, 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 my, um, in my Bible, it starts off, instead of saying, but, it says, nevertheless. All things considered, nevertheless, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, it's been quite a week for us, and I don't want to dig in until we um, say some obvious things about what happened in Connecticut and uh, what took place here. It just um, kind of all came back as our children were singing this morning um, that, you know, the earthly choir has less children singing this morning, and um, it's a terrible thing. I want to urge you not to go numb. I want to urge you not to just make it a political discussion. I remember when I heard about it, I just couldn't believe it. I, I was in the office and um, putting together some stuff, and um, I just, I was on the ground. I just couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, you go through your feelings of shock, sadness. Then I was angry. And then yesterday when I went to the mall, I was a little afraid. Um, I, I just, I had, I was listening to one, N, one NBC News commentate. They had these people talking and one person came on and said, you know, as a parent, 
I mean, as parents of people who, you know, have children probably the same age as those kids, um, what we should not do is feel what those parents feel because it leaves us powerless to help them. I don't know if I agree. The Bible says we have a Lord and Savior who is acquainted with grief, acquainted with sorrow. And we should be willing to be acquainted with sorrow because we know that the Lord is going to redeem this place. You know there is justice for lives that were taken. Not the kind of earthly justice like Adam was talking about that the lawyers can get you out of or committing suicide can help you escape. The Lord has justice. But the Lord has mercy and comfort unlike anything any counselor or any substance can ever offer. We run there. We point to that. We rest in that. I urge you, again, don't become numb. This is a broken place. This is a terrible place so many times. It's just, it reveals itself in incidents like this. Hopefully that we will be, that that this is not it. There's got to be better. There's got to be more. And that's what the gospel talks about. We live in a broken world of broken people, and we can have every psychiatrist, psychologist, and social commentary you can have out there to figure out why. Why? Because we live in a broken world. What and who? The Lord Jesus, who came to die for sinners in a broken world, is going to make all things right. Let me pray for us before I get started. Heavenly Father, we pray for those families that lost children. What an unimaginable, but something that truly happened situation. To drop your kids off at school and, and come back and they're gone. Father, we do pray that you would Use your strong hand to hold back sin. To hold back the thinking and minds of those who are planning to do harm to others. We pray, Lord, that they would be stopped. We pray, Lord, for jammed guns and rifles. And we pray for cars running out of gas on the way to do something wrong. We pray for friends and family to convince others. We pray for fear to stop some folk from doing crazy things. Use your strong hand to hold back sin. Use your comforting hand to give hope to those who've been sinned against. Well, we pray that the gospel would come to Newtown, Connecticut, in a way that it hasn't existed before. We pray that your Holy Spirit 
would blow on that city, would blow in those families' homes and hearts in a way they've not experienced before, that they would know you in a broken place that will not heal no matter how much time goes by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage in Isaiah that was read this morning is a popular passage during the Christmas season. It's the substance of one of the most dramatic parts of Handel's Messiah. Many of us are familiar with this scripture, but few of us have allowed it to speak deeply and take hold of us, to be a lasting chorus in our lives beyond Christmas time. Now, there are four titles given to the prophecy of Jesus' birth here Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Today, we are going to focus on Jesus, the Everlasting Father. And I thought, what a fitting thing. I had picked this long time before. This message was get first given back in the 8th century B.C. by the prophet Isaiah to give to the king of Israel, King Ahaz. And the sign of God's help and comfort for his oppressed people was the birth of a son. At that time, it was the birth of Isaiah's son. But now we know it foreshadowed. It was a prophecy of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to need your Bibles today. It is my fault for not putting all the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, that's fine. If you have an iPhone or one of them smartphones, um, pull up that Bible app. You might need to purchase it real quick right now. That's fine. (laughs) If you need a website... If you see the church website, CCC, and then seven sevens if you got to download that. But don't look at anything else, please. CCC, seven, 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 right? Seven sevens, okay? If you need that Bible app, because you're going to need it. If you don't have your Bible, can't find a Bible app, then listen carefully, because I'm going to be talking a lot from chapter 8. Chapter 9 is the resolve of chapter 8's issues. Now, I've done sermons in reference to the Heavenly Father in the past and have been scolded because we live in a world and in a society in which fathers have failed to exist or exist as failures. I can even remember in Baltimore when we lived there that at times on the public service announcement station, they would have deadbeat dads who had left their children and their mothers behind, no basic care, no concern, no love. Now, unfortunately, for many of these fathers, they don't have the ability to provide and run from imminent failure, provide financially, so they run from imminent failure. They don't have the ability to love they feel like they should, so they run in fear of failure. Many are ignorant to fathering itself, and for some, just being a, I come home every day and provide, so be happy and satisfied, give me a cookie, can leave much to be desired in the way of love and intimacy and education. With the fallen image of fathers, it is easy to negate the idea or image of a father as being something redeeming. If anything, it can be a word that implies, once again, abuse and neglect and anger. 
with this in mind. This is a message that we in our world must hear. For we are desperate to be fathered. Fathered rightly and lovingly and justly. Why do you think Santa Claus is so popular? The other day I saw this guy just dumping some garbage in the garbage can. And he was Santa Claus. Like, he had the real beard. I was like, Santa. As a matter of fact, this message of the everlasting father came at a time almost 3,000 years ago that was much like ours today. Judah southern kingdom of Israel, was a country and people who felt fatherless, weakened by civil war and growing world powers around them. It seemed that the heavenly father had gone out for a loaf of bread and not come back. That he was with them, but was like the modern silent absentee father. That he had fathered children that had left them orphans. In this dark and confusing time, the message is and was clear. You need and have an everlasting father. And the good news message in Isaiah in this Christmas season is that you have one, an everlasting father that we see firstly is at work in our lives as the author and God of history. What's this mean? God is orchestrating the events of history for his determined end. Now in chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, it says this. The Lord spoke to me again because this people had refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remali. Uh, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass over, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. We see here in verse 7 that, that Assyria, this oppressive superpower that is ruling Israel, is referred to like a river and that God is guiding and will allow and control them for his purposes. That Assyria, like everything else, and that's why it's referred to as a river, like God creating this world, like everything else in all of creation and time and space, are not, is not a free agent outside of God's planned and purpose. And I've said this before, there is no such thing as the renegade Adam. There is no renegade molecule. There is no renegade circumstance. There is no renegade happening in history. But when we consider that God is doing it too, and with his own people Israel, that God is with us, his people, this is what it means. Look with me at verses 9 through 10. It says, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with you us. He is not absent. He is at work among us. He is seeking to accomplish his ends and his purposes and plans for us in and through us. We see here that God is using history and let me, let me emphasize not so good feeling circumstances to bring Israel and Judah to a place where they would see and seek help from him. 
while this disciplinary action of God and Elijah's people does not feel good, we can be encouraged that God is not just among us and at work in us, but he as the Father is at work on our behalf. And the scope of his eternal practices and and plans are the lives of his people. That, that, That the apple of his eye in the awesome moves and motions of God is his love and concern for his children. Listen to what it says, chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, not be, and do not be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Now we get these images of his people being put into dire straits and his positions of being humbled and made to fear and snared. Here is the hope in all of the confusing and troubling times. He is their father. That their father is the God of history, which for them, as verse 14 says in chapter 8, should be a sanctuary for them. That when it's hard to make sense of why and what God is doing or allowing to happen in this world and in your lives, he stands as a sanctuary, as a father. That if it is true that he is the everlasting father and we are the children that he cares for, then there is nothing to fear but much to look forward to in the way of his being a sanctuary and a father to us in the circumstances. Let me tell you what you already know. We can't always make sense or make right what is going on in the world around us. It is scary and seems out of control, but take hope and sanctuary in this. Your father, your father, is the God and Lord of history and circumstance. The everlasting Father has allowed history, your history, your personal history, to be guided and formed and challenging to our own power in such a way that you and I could know the sanctuary and intimacy of seeing and declaring and calling on him as Father for real, not just in some some pat prayer, but Father, I really need you now. I remember I got suspended in seventh grade. It was one or two times I got suspended in seventh grade. It involved talking. (laughs) And my suspension was this. Principal says, Howard, you're out. And the only way you can come back is your daddy got to bring you back. I'm like, Lord, is there another way? You knew that was going to mean, I mean, I was going to get suspended and I was going to get upended. I'm just, all the ended you could get, I was going to get. 
remember that feeling. That the only way the bad circumstances I put myself in were going to get straight is that the disciplinarian father I had actually put me back into a right place. Some of you are going through hell. I don't know what kind. Take sanctuary in this. Your father, the one who loves you, is the God of everything. Some of you are watching the world in fear. Take sanctuary. Your father, the one who loves you, is the Lord of history. Some of you are having heaven on earth. Things are right now and and going your way. Be careful. Your father is the God of history. When we take into account that God is the everlasting father, in the light of whatever circumstances we are comforted to praise or compelled and pushed to petition, giving him thanks and bringing him, because of his intimate concern for us, bringing to him our fears and our our hurts and even our misunderstandings. Don't you know that that fielding questions are part of what it means to be a father? In fact, Scripture calls them daddy. I'm being a daddy. Man, we we went to go to um, Sharice, Sharice's mom's funeral up in New York City. That's a long ride. With a eight and he's eight still? Nine, nine and ten-year-old. He just turned nine. He just turned nine. Give me a little, give me a month or so to get it right. Y'all, 12 hours of questions. Every rest stop, a new question. And of course, the one we all ask, are we there yet? If we were there yet, we wouldn't still be in the car, right? We're like that with our Lord. Lord, is this heaven yet? No. You're still walking around, right? You ain't in heaven yet. But you know, I thought about the questions, the misunderstandings. Daddy, daddy. I mean, at one point in the trip, I was like, look, boys. It was like one in the morning. I was driving. I didn't get back to Charlotte till three. And you know, you're just kind of antsy. Like, like so we were like not liking each other in that car. It was like 1030. I told my boys after nine, it's dangerous to be a kid. Go to bed. Go to bed. And... And I'm, go to sleep, put your headphones, it's dangerous. And so at one point I was like, no more questions. No more questions. But daddy just had one more. No more questions. Can we stop? I got to use the bathroom. No. That was a question. Can you imagine... the father of time, space, and history is your dad, if you know Christ. And he's available and able and present in your journey that you can't control. I remember being a child in the backseat. Are we there yet? That's a reasonable question. Because I'm not driving and I don't have GPS. Are we there yet? And I think we as believers need to ask the Lord, Lord, when Jesus coming back? 
When is this going to be over? And if you keep going another day, the answer is not yet. Right? Well, this Everlasting Father proclamation should have been a message of assurance and comfort for people that may have felt abandoned by their God. Ahaz and the people he led continued to look for assurance and life and light in the darkness of their dilemma elsewhere. And in doing so, they not only failed to embrace the Father who was at work in their lives and their attempts at personal assurance, they missed the comfort of the everlasting Father who is the giver of life. Look with me and listen if you don't have your script Bibles, uh, verse 19 in chapter 8. The remnant of the trees of the forest. Nope, that's chapter 10. Sounded good, though. <laughs> chapter, nine, I mean, chapter 8, verse 19. When you say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? So they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony is what they're saying. Do it. If they will not speak according to this world, it's because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. We have a picture of people who can't make sense of their world, which is in danger of being destroyed. We see a king who has his back against the wall, who feels alone in his issues, and as a result, they go wherever they can, which as described here is less than abundant. As a matter of fact, the scripture says it leads to death and distress. Necromancers, right? They go into mother so-and-so for the palm reading. But back then, it was more like Lord of the Rings. That stuff, they, they believed that. That stuff used to really pop up off the page and all. It means they're going to other places. Other places beside the Word of God, right? God's people are great at this, especially those who've been Christians for a while. You get tired of the same old answer from God. And you know what the same old answer from God is? Not your way, my way. I get tired of hearing that. Because I'm, sometimes I feel, and this is very dangerous to actually say, I sometimes feel as a human being, I kind of see it a little better than he does. You know, I, I need to feel something, right? I, I need mother so-and-so to, to look at my palm and tell me. I need to look at the, I, I need to look at the, the signs on the, on the paper. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have a good day. The other day, I was opening fortune cookies. Like, I don't even like the taste of them. Like, oh, what if just something's there? Pop. Popping fortune cookies just to kind of, you know. And I kept popping until I got the one I wanted. <laughs> this one don't make no sense. Your number is number nine. Man, please. Pop, next one. Just throwing it in the garbage. Next one. Couldn't open the Bible. Because the Bible only has one message. The Lord is in control. And you are not. Trust him. Oh, great. I want to feel. Look at verses 1 through 4. But, as Miss Norma said, nevertheless, 
There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land in that valley. But in later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who dwelled in darkness, the people walked in darkness, rather, who looked for their own way to get out, have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you and as, as with the joy of the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The picture we have of Judah and Ahaz in chapter 8 is like a group of orphans who go to the trash can for food, who drink sewer water, who will steal and kill and destroy to have because no one else will look after them, they feel, like orphans without a father. The message of Emmanuel to them was God has given grace and means to grace and spiritual food and relationships that lead to life, abundant life. The message is clear to us as well, because there is an everlasting father for those who would be his children. You and I don't need to seek and take in any and everything as if we are orphans with no care. You know, we we dumpster diving, spiritually dumpster diving, taking leftovers, eating poison and and, 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 and things that are diseased because we, we, we don't see what, what the Heavenly Father is, is, is giving us. Sometimes when things get hard and we forget that we are children of God of heaven, we will settle for less than the abundant life. Man, you go to your dumpster, you might see me in there sometimes. Interesting, we find each other in the same dumpster. Sometimes I want to run. Man, I see them young people at spring break. Spring break, Cancun. Woo! I won't be able to take my shirt off anymore. Got to have the old man tight water, you know, thing. Spring break. Run to the border. Some of us want to run. Because it's better over there, right? You want, you want to run to some pleasure. You know, no, uh, 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 some will, are, are looking to, 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 you know, getting off. Some want to sin and then die, like a person without an abundant life father. When things lead to nothingness, emptiness, and distress, I've even, even asked God, please let me sin with no consequence, just this one time. Acknowledging the emptiness and death that will result. Find some of us find many different ways to cope with life. Depression and addictions and anger at God and, and excellence and brilliance. We, we walk on the edge and flirt with and fall on sin. As a kid who didn't know any better, but now as a father myself, I do, I envy crazy things my other friends had. You ever been a kid and you're like, man, how did he get that? He don't even have to ask his mama to go anywhere. I can't believe it. We go to the house I had a friend, we go over to the house, his mama ain't even home. Man, why can't that be my house? What are we going to eat? Man, my mama ain't cooking nothing. We can make our own. What? We can have French toast at 7 at night? Yes. And then again at 10 because she ain't going to be home till 11. Woo! Let's spend a night at your house. Don't go to my house. Mama and daddy there. You know, they're going to be sick then. You have to eat this. Probably some leftover food, vegetables. Let's have a good time. I ain't chef up in there. 
pouring all kind of stuff. Hey, what? You got cable? Man, and no mama or daddy around? This is the life right here. I remember I had a friend, my friend Chip. His dad, man, bought him a, a brand new car and all. I'm mad. What kind of daddy I got? I'm 15. I want a fast car. I'm good, too. Why Chip got to get it? He had no AC in that bad boy. But still. Chip was like, hey, man, my daddy even get those movies for us. What movies? You know, porno movies. I remember thinking, when I was in high school, and, and I heard my friend say that. He's like, man, my dad and I, we so open about things. It's all right. I began thinking, man, why is it my dad like that? Because I was a kid and stupid. Y'all ain't kids, but we sure act stupid. What kind of father you want? What kind of God you want? You want the one that's going to let you have everything you want? Well, you, you, wanna, you want that kind of father to let you have everything you want? Understand, human beings... On our own, in our own hearts, we're pretty stupid. But we dangerously stupid because we know how to make things to kill ourselves. We know just enough. We know how to work the stove and work the cable TV. Many in this room are envying the freedom that the world outside of Christianity is having. Myself included. I had a father and a home of love and food and peace and safety and assurance. Our Lord has provided his children means to life. Let me, let's, just, let's just talk about some old school stuff. Prayer. Oh, Lord, prayer. Not that again. Nothing ever happens at prayer. The word. Oh, Lord, here come the Bible again. Sacraments, fellowship, praise. And we shuck it when in our relationship with him is life, abundant life protection it, that fights against, it gives hope against the, the, the lights of darkness and death. And some of you living and feeding your souls and minds and guiding your own lives. Today, stop being so stupid. Like orphans, God is your father, and you can come as his child and eat and be comforted and forgiven and grow in his abundant life. It isn't until now as an adult that I realize how abundant a life I had with my family. Now, it wasn't perfect, so I don't want to make it like the example like have Howard's family because it was far from perfect. I remember thinking that kids would come to my house. Why y'all want to come to my house? Y'all got the free cable. I had a friend down the street. His dad was a millionaire, had a Ferrari. He had the trampoline. He had the cable in his room. That's when you slide the cable. All the channels. I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre three times. Then we went to jump on the trampoline. 
Then we went and ate some burgers. I mean, fries. We're just killing it. His mama, you know, she was high or something. That's fine. As long as Janet, I called her Janet. Yes, not Miss. Don't call me that. Baby, just call me Janet. Janet was high in another room. That's fine. We had a good time. But my friend Michael, he wanted to come to my house. Howard, can I go to your house? Why? He says, I just want to talk to your mama. What? You got Janet. Janet is high and don't care. My mama going to make you do the right thing. Don't come over here. My house is boring. Your dad has a Ferrari. When we think about what it says about enlarging the temple, it means in this scripture that God is going to take his people and make room for them in his house. I remember the kids at Forest Park and I just told this a good many times, but I don't mind telling it again. Nobody had a daddy. When I was pastoring up there to show up, nobody had a father. They would even lie. My dad going to get me a bike this Christmas. Where is your dad? I don't know, but he's going to get me a bike. And they just came like, they, 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 one little boy, he just came, he just came to the house. I mean, he had dirt all over his body, and he was just like, Pastor Brown, I just want to come in. I'm like, why? He comes in, the first thing the kid does is go on the couch and sleep for like two hours. No safe place to sleep. They come to be cared for. They come to get some attention. Watch me, Pastor Brown. Watch me do my bike. Watch me jump on one leg, Pastor Brown. Just watch me. Just, Just look at me. Just pay attention to me. Just have your eye out for me. Just say something to me. Can somebody talk to me today? You know, they come to escape and get unconditional love. There are those here, and not yet here, that have no father. No person or place of rest. No one watching over them or caring for them. No one loving them or can say there's someone who loves me unconditionally. No one who wants you just as you are. And many of you are just lying to yourselves and others, living in loneliness and distress and darkness. And let me, I don't have time to get into it. There is a difference between being lonely and being alone. Loneliness is subjective. Being alone is biblically objective. We'll talk about that later. Some of y'all are lonely because you're not getting what you want in your own way. But you're alone, some of you. Good news, right? Good news. Unto us a child is born. And he is the everlasting father. Becoming a father to the fatherless. Jesus has come to welcome you and me into new life, into a new family, and has made us able to welcome more and more and more people who have no children and more orphans to call on a father. With the abundance of the Heavenly Father, I ask you today, who is your father? Don't give me the name of a man who, 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 who with a last name, unless his last name is Christ. Who loves you unconditionally? Who knows you unashamedly? 
Who does not require performance before acceptance? Who can forgive you and deal with and put behind you and cover all the bad and wrong you have done and has been done to you? Unto you a child is born, a son is given, and he is the everlasting father. I'll close with this. But this everlasting relationship is not just about its duration but it's endurance. That if it is true that this relationship with God is an everlasting one, as children of an everlasting father, then that would mean that there is nothing on heaven, in heaven, on earth, time, or space that can destroy or estrange the relationship between God and his people. Let me tell y'all something. This Isaiah had a lot of chapters in it. This chapter 9, this is the beginning, man. This is the beginning. This is the opening scene. This ain't the end scene. This is the opening scene. Let me tell you, you go through the book of Isaiah and through the history, a lot of stuff happens. Ups and downs, and people don't get it. They hear it. Then they go off and do the wrong thing, and God got to slap them with another country coming in. They got to go this, get exiled, all kind of crazy stuff. For the rest of the book, it's a roller coaster. Syria, you know, Babylon came and and all the Ahaz and there was bad kings. But Isaiah's message stays true. That unto them a sign was given, that unto them a child was born, unto them a son is given, and he will be called Everlasting Father. This message of the Everlasting Father would be true in good times, bad times, good behavior, bad behavior, good leaders, bad leaders. But what will remain and endure all would be All that would endure would be the relationship that God has his children. It would be everlasting. Nothing, nothing you can go through can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He's an everlasting father. He's an enduring father. You can't go up high enough or dip down low enough or your sin be wide enough or your sin be dark enough for somehow for him to walk away from you. He ain't that kind of dad. He's an everlasting father. There's nothing your friends could bring to you. There's nothing your personal history could do. There's nothing that could be revealed about you that you've been doing in the darkness that will not make him stick with you or leave you, rather. He's going to stick with you if you have Christ. He is an everlasting father. We have an everlasting father in Jesus. But your life here will not last forever. You hear that? You have an everlasting father in Jesus, but your life here will not last forever. I'm Presbyterian, but I'm going to sound a little Baptist for a minute. You know, we kind of, we up here. We have the four-year seminary, you know, all that. I'm not going to say it in Hebrew. I'm not going to say it in Greek. I'm going to say it in English this morning. We have an everlasting Father, but your life will not last forever. A relationship with God, the everlasting Father, begins on this side of the grave. I went to that funeral and I saw that casket go down in the grave. Everlasting. But your life won't last forever. You don't know Christ now. You have no assurance of an everlasting father. You're just playing around. You're just playing around with your life and other people's lives, being stupid. 
being silly. I shouldn't call people stupid. Stupid's a bad word. I'm sorry. It's just the word that came to mind when I thought about the way I act. Not you, me. I'm stupid because I know better and I still do stupid orphanish, orphan stuff. Today is the day of salvation. Today, the Bible says a light is dawned. A light is dawned. You didn't come into the light. The light came on you. And now you see and you hear, don't walk away without coming to Christ. The Christ who's come to you today is the everlasting Father.